0: Welcome to the Faith at Work Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Jim Melvin, and I invite you to join me today and every week as we talk about matters of faith and spirituality that affect all of us. Although I come from a Christian perspective, it's my intent that all may find something of value here. This week, I'm going to focus on how we grieve our losses and find comfort in the face of tragedy. There's plenty to grieve about in the world today. As months run into years, our nation grieves the hundreds of thousands of those who have fallen victim to the persistent menace of the COVID-19 virus. Recently, we have suffered the loss of American troops as they sought to help evacuate Afghani citizens threatened by the Taliban. Our common humanity also causes us to grieve the Afghanis who have lost their lives. And then there are those who have been killed due to violent weather etc etc. Those are global losses and for many of us they are reasons for us to grieve at a distance. Closer to home we all face the possibility of personal losses. For many COVID-19 has hit close to us or even in our homes. We all face the constant threat of losing someone we love any sort of disease or tragedy. How do we handle this mountain of grief that just won't seem to go away? I turn to the words of Psalm 88. My soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like those who have no help, like those forsaken among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all of your waves. I can understand why you might question if I am trying to provide words of comfort, why I would start out with such a bleak and downright depressing passage from the Bible? I start here because I must. I start here because this is where we start, when we experience unspeakable loss or suffering in our lives. It does not help, and may be destructive if we try to move too quickly to comfort with facile words of Scripture or platitudes offered up out of our own discomfort. Psalm 88 is a lament psalm. It's the type of psalm that the ancient people of Israel turned to in times of personal or natural disaster or war. They are complaints shouted against God when there is no one else to turn to in their many times of hurt, hurt that seems so unjust and inexplicable. They're also reflected in the words of a modern John Denver song, Opposite Tables. Father, O oh Father, please hear me. My song is a cry of desperation. All the words I hear have lost their meaning. My life is a well of confusion, drowned out by the sound of the lost and lonely. Only the voice inside speaks your name to me. In times of deepest grief, The only one to turn to is God for help or to complain. But we are so confused that we can only cry out in desperation and even anger. Grief runs torturously slow. It can seem like an endless river of agony. Grieving is almost always incomplete. When it seems to have passed, It can recur with tornadic fury. Its residual effects remain with us forever. Grief forces us to bow before it in humility. Only when we do so can we ever stand again in the hope and healing and go on living. There can be no loss greater, perhaps, than the loss of one's child, A child is the person of whom we can most honestly and unequivocally say I would give up my life for him or her. It is our children with whom we experience the deepest empathy. When they suffer, we suffer. When they die, something within us dies. The bond of love between our children and us is a happy prison from which there is no escape. escape. Unfortunately, There are many other losses that cut us to the quick. The loss of a spouse, a parent, a sibling, a best friend, and yes, even a beloved pet. Any of these losses can bring us to our knees. But let's move on from these unhappy thoughts. I turn again to the same source in Scripture, the Psalms, For a glimmer of hope. These are the words of the 23rd Psalm, a source of sincere comfort for God's people for thousands of years. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, He leads me beside still waters, He restores my soul, He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. The words of the 23rd Psalm, like Psalm 88, deal honestly with the emotions surrounding grief and loss. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, admits to the darkness of suffering and death in life. But unlike in a lament, the writer of Psalm 23 adds an element of trust in God. He says, When things are at their worst, I know that you are with me. And that gives me comfort and courage to face whatever. I think the psalmist and people who recite it do so to constantly try keep trying to convince themselves they're not alone. The psalm helps, but it needs to be prayed over and over again. Assurance of God's presence is a step toward living. With and managing our grief. Beyond that, being aware of some of the emotions and barriers of the grieving experience can also help us in our grief. Elizabeth Kubler Ross, the founder of the hospice movement back in the 1960s, provided us with great insights into the grieving process when she described what she called the five stages of loss denial, bargaining, depression anger, and acceptance. In 2004, she wrote a book titled On Grief and Grieving, Finding the Meaning of Grief Through the Five Stages of Loss, which I still recommend for people who are grieving. Here I will take you through my own observations of what we have to deal with when we are grieving. When we face a loss, especially a sudden or traumatic death, we slip into denial. A few years ago, I checked my brother into the local hospital because he was experiencing back pains. The emergency room doctor ran a quick EKG, and despite the fact that it did not indicate that he had suffered a heart attack, he admitted him to stay overnight for tests the next day. We chatted for a while in my brother's room, reminiscing about our family home and the time we spent together. And then I went home. Bill was 17 years older than me, but in the past 40 years, we'd become running and travel companions. We were best friends, and he was a part of our family. Just as I got home, my phone rang. The voice on the other end of the phone said abruptly, I'm sorry to tell you, but your brother has just passed away. We tried to resuscitate him, but we were unsuccessful. I stood in stunned silence. I was in a fog. What's wrong? My wife asked from across the room. Bill just died, I heard myself say. No, she howled. Tell them they've made a mistake. Even when we went to the hospital and saw him lying in the same bed where I left him, smiling and joking, it didn't sink in that he was gone. I couldn't or wouldn't believe it. It took me days to really come to the realization that he was gone. Like the other emotions that we experience with grief, they never go completely away. It's been six years since my brother died, when I read a new book or when I see a new movie that he would have liked, I catch myself thinking, oh, I've got to give Bill a call. I slip into a denial. It's as though he's still here. Now, I was bothered by this at first, but now I've come to think of these moments as little blessings, signs of his continued, may I go as far as say eternal, presence with me. Denial serves its purpose. It protects us from the acute and immediate dangers of shock. This kind of denial is usually fairly short-lived. It can, however, become hurtful if it persists too long and signals an unhealthy break with reality. In those cases, it's necessary to seek help to move past it. As we emerge from the fog of denial, regret, guilt, and blaming can try to shoulder themselves into our psyche to replace it. Now, regret starts with the thought, if only. If only the doctors had run more tests. If only I had known she was depressed. If only he would have crossed those train tracks ten seconds later or earlier then this wouldn't have happened. When their brother Lazarus was critically ill, Mary and Martha summoned Jesus to come and save him. Jesus arrived too late. Lazarus had died. And both Mary and Martha say to Jesus occasionally, if only, if only you would have been here, then our brother would not have died. Now, if only can be used to express guilt or anger. My guilty self says, if only I would have done or not done something, then. It's easy to look back and regret things we should have done or not done, said or not said. Our guilt may be real or imagined, reasonable or exaggerated. Guilt requires our honest acknowledgement of our culpability, confession, and some form of atonement or repentance. Now, whether this is done internally, with another person, or through a religious or spiritual counselor, it is important to resolve guilt and put it in the past. My blaming self says, if only you would have done, or not done, something, then. Like guilt, anger can be justified or unjustified. When someone else is responsible, even partly so, anger is the natural immediate response. Now, it's true. Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. But I know in many cases that's beyond the realm of human possibility, the possibility to forgive, at least in the moment, someone who has done us great harm, especially someone who is responsible for taking a loved one from us. It may be necessary for the fire of anger to burn itself out before we can forgive. You've heard per- people say it's err- to err is human. In my experience, to blame is also human. Forgiveness is a concept that's far too difficult to deal with in any depth in my time here. My main point is when we catch ourselves blaming someone for their actions... It's time to pay attention to the effects that our anger and our blaming have on ourselves and those around us. A quote attributed to Buddha says, Holding on to anger is like drinking poison and expecting someone else to die. Initial anger may have some necessary healing effects. Holding on to anger becomes self-destructive. I've witnessed people who have held on to the source of their anger their entire lives and have taken that misery to their graves with them. Forgiveness and the work of extinguishing anger is a part of a long, hard journey of grief. All the negative emotions and the stress of grieving almost inevitably lead down a path to depression. It may be short-term and resolve itself, or it may be persistent and require treatment or medication. Depression differs from sadness. Sadness may cause us intense emotional distress, but when we are sad, we can still enjoy the normal things that give us pleasure in life. We can escape sadness, sometimes temporarily. Depression is not only painful, but it also robs us of the joy in life, and it's powerful. Depression can disrupt our eating and sleeping behaviors. And while we can usually pinpoint a reason for our sadness, not necessarily so with depression, depression persists and extends beyond an identifiable source. We're just depressed. When you are in mourning, expect to be sad. You have a right to your sadness. No one has the right to tell you to cheer up or get over it, no matter what the time frame. What would it say about your loved one if you were not sad? You can own it. Your tears are distilled from the love you felt for the person you lost. When I've experienced the loss of someone close to me, I've gone through moments of intense sadness and sometimes uncontrollable weeping. And the tears were not the end of my grief, but they at least temporarily wash away some of the sadness. Just as you have a right to grief, you do not need to feel ashamed of grief's older cousin, depression. Depression is a powerful force that's often beyond our immediate control. Depression robs us of the will to feel better. When, as the psalmist in my opening lament, you feel like you have descended into a bottomless pit, cry out and reach out. Call up all the emotional, spiritual, and religious resources within your grasp. God does not want you to suffer. Happiness and a healthy life may seem beyond your reach. They are not. And hopefully others can help you see that. The final part of the grieving process, acceptance, may seem far off, and it may be so, but it is out there acceptance may be imperfect but it can help it may come and go flickering like a candle in the wind but your acceptance can never be totally extinguished it's always possible the book of proverbs gives us a powerful tool to use in our, our in our climb out of grief and that's memory Proverbs says, the memory of the righteous is a blessing. First of all, I give a very broad meaning to the definition of righteous. The righteous are not pious people who have never done anything wrong. They're not better than you and me. The righteous are those who have been made right with God. And I believe that through the infinite power of God's love, we are all made right. When you've lost someone, it's not a time to try to forget. It's a time and an opportunity to begin to remember. Tell stories. Look at pictures. Don't be afraid to laugh and don't be afraid to cry. Remember the good and the bad, the happy and the sad. In all of those memories, you will keep apart part of that person with you. And you will actually continue your relationship with them, the person that you still love. You can have conversations with your lost saints. Tell them you love them. Tell them you miss them. Say all the things you forgot to say and thought you would never be able to have the chance to say again. And don't be afraid to let them talk to you Whenever necessary, ask their forgiveness. When appropriate, tell them you forgive them. Just as it may have seemed strange that I started out with the apparent hopelessness of a mournful lament, it may seem equally strange that I have waited until the end to share the words of hope. That's because the end is really the beginning. Death does not have the last word. Life has that. And that's the message of resurrection to new life. As Paul says, listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable nature must put on imperishability, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When this perishable body puts on imperishability, and this mortal body puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will be fulfilled. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? For those of you who have lost someone and just plain missed them, let me give you one final assurance from the funeral liturgy. We pray. We look forward to being reunited with those who have gone before us. Through all your grief, hold on to that bright hope. And in all things, May God bring you peace. Let me get personal and share a poem with you that I wrote shortly after my brother Bill died. I found some comfort in writing it then, and I find comfort in reading it again now. Maybe you will be too. When he died, he gave me purpose to bathe in the life he lived, and to love those he had not yet time to love. When he was raised, he brought me with him from the grave and the dark tomb to a new bright day. When we all rise, we will gather in the heavens and sing glad songs. Remember that it all began when he died. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you will come back again. Until then, may God bless you and keep you. May God make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May God look upon you with favor and give you peace.